0: My hope is that through this series that you are reminded of how important it is to look up daily and to know that you have a God who, like a hand that wants to help you, is there to not take away all of your problems all the time, but to, who has redeemed you and who is there, eternally speaking, has taken away your biggest problem and mine, that being sin. Uh, so, uh, as a note for our guests, I wanted to point out the Sermon Notes page, the colored sheet in your service folder, and as we get going in this first week, um, maybe that can be a blessing to you as you um, fill in the blanks and, and follow along. I don't know if you've ever had something or someone in your life that you just couldn't depend on, couldn't count on, <laughs> maybe some of us can think of people. People probably we all also could probably think of uh, something. It kind of gets me thinking about um, the very first car that that I can remember my family having growing up. It was a uh, Chrysler LeBaron, and it actually looks pretty much exactly like this. It was gold, a two-door boat... Um, with those pointy hubcaps, and it didn't look any near that nice. It did not sparkle like that. And there's a a couple different things I remember about the Chrysler LeBaron. Uh, One of them is that the seats were made out of this plastic leather imitation material that I don't think they use in cars anymore. And so living in Texas, as we did at that time, those seats burnt the back of my legs, like, almost on a daily basis. In fact, we eventually just put towels in the car because of how hot those seats got in the sun of Texas. And then the other thing that I remember about it is how increasingly unreliable it was as it got, the car got older. In fact, um... And I don't know why we didn't just buy another car right away. It's probably had something to do with uh, funds and finances and things. But towards the end of its life cycle, if you came to a complete stop in the car, it most of the time shut off. (laughs) Now, this becomes problematic because most of the time when you're driving, eventually you need to stop. And so as a five, six, seven-year-old, I remember, I forget what age exactly, one of those. Um, I remember every time we got into the LeBaron, and especially if my dad wasn't along, I was like so nervous that we were going to get stuck somewhere. I said prayers, literally, that the Lord would allow all the lights to be green so we didn't need to stop. My mom got really good at, um, and she's a pastor's wife, so, you know, don't, don't. Don't tell anyone, but to roll through stop signs, you know, very slowly, but enough that we didn't have to come to a complete stop. And in fact, my dad, if I remember this correctly, taught my mom about how when she did need to stop, if she, if automatic transmission, if she put it in neutral at just the right moment, she could keep the car going so it wouldn't stop. Well, needless to say, I remember at least two or three times where it would stop, we couldn't get it started again, my dad would have to come get us. And um, it just was horrible. It's not fun to have something in your life that's unreliable. It causes uneasiness. You might be thinking of some things in your life right now. Well, this series that we're starting today in the book of Judges, as you've noticed um, in that uh, main frame, says, is, is the center of it is faithful. You know what faithful is? Faithful is the opposite of our Chrysler LeBaron. As far opposite as you can get from that gold car with the pointy hubcaps that didn't work very well, that's faithful. It's steady, it's unswerving, it's always reliable, it's keeping its promises, it's trustworthy, that's faithful. And as you might have already guessed... What we're going to look at in this series, or who we're going to look at that is, was faithful through the time of the judges, was God. Now, you also maybe have noticed from the series logo that there's those two little letters on the top of the F, U and N. And they're meant to be small, they're meant to be off to the side, they're meant not to be the focus, because the focus is faithful. But you can't study through the book of Judges without recognizing there is also an unfaithful aspect. God's people. Throughout the time of the judges, God's people were unfaithful, and yet God remained dependable. God's people were the Chrysler LeBaron, and God remained faithful. And it, it just if you're struggling with something right now, it, it just makes his faithfulness that much more amazing to know that in this book that we're going to be studying, you've got people who time and time and time and time and time again were unfaithful and God is delivering them and delivering them and delivering them. And we're going to see that over the next 10 to 12 weeks. His people are unfaithful. God is faithful. His people are unfaithful. God is faithful. That's our first fill-in today. It's really the theme of our entire series. God remains faithful even as his people are unfaithful. God remains faithful even when his people are continually unfaithful. Now I'm, I'm really excited to preach in the book of Judges. Part of that is I looked back in my file and I don't think I've ever preached a sermon on Judges, much less 10 to 12 weeks of this book. And you've probably not heard too many uh, sermons in the book of Judges either from your past. And so it's going to be fun to go through some sections of Scripture that maybe you haven't do- dove into ever or not for a very long time. And as we, as we do that, and as we get going today, I felt like it was really important on this first week to spend just a little bit of time about the context of Judges, so that you kind of know where we're at, and those of you who just love history are going to love this part, and those of you that don't like history are going to be like, let's get on to the application, but... This is really an important part. So um, the time of the judges. We're going to talk more next week about what a judge was. Do not think black robe and gavel. That's not what it is. We'll talk more about it next week. But the time of the judges, as you see on the screen here, was a time of about 330 years in the history of the Jewish nation. Sometimes we call them the Israelites. And it occurred between those years and between Joshua... Some of you may not have heard of Joshua, but most of you have probably heard of Moses. And Moses was the leader who led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt to the border of the promised land. But yet God said, Moses, you're not going to be the one to take them into the promised land. And so Moses was succeeded by Joshua. Joshua is the leader right after Moses, okay? And then you've got 330 years' time, and then in 1050 is when Israel became a monarchy for the first time. They had their very first king. His name was Saul. After Saul came a much more well-known king named David, okay? But in that 330 years, Israel wasn't a monarchy they didn't have a centralized government. And, and you got to know this. Here's what it was. It, they were kind of like a commonwealth. And what's a commonwealth? Think the 13 original colonies. At the very beginning of the United States, we had these 13 colonies that were connected, but not as much as they are today. They were very much uh, kind of unto themselves in a lot of different ways. And yet they were united by a culture, by a common goal, and yet they were separate In the time of the judges, the nation of Israel was like twelve colonies. Twelve tribes might be another way to say it. And they had their own area, they had their, their own little differences, but yet they were united by a culture, and more than anything, they were united by their faith in the God of the Bible. Okay? And so they had no government, they had no king. How were they ruled? God was their government. God was their king. And it's not as if he came down and had a State of the Union address with them every year or anything like that. But instead, he gave them a whole bunch of laws that were to govern them. Now, how much do you like to be told what to do? How much do you like to be told what to do and then do it even though no one's looking over your shoulder? Well, even though God was around, He wasn't necessarily in the flesh on earth. And so, as you can imagine, (laughs) the people didn't listen very well. And what made that even worse is something we're going to look at in just a second. But their disobedience was secular. Here's the cycle of Judges that we're going to come back to, but I just need to share at the very beginning here of the book. You find it on the screen. So what would happen is God would give them their law, his law, I should say. They were supposed to obey. God's far away, I think. No one's looking over my shoulder. So they would disobey. And then bad stuff would happen. Disaster. And then they'd be like, oh man, this is not good. Dear Lord, I know I haven't been listening. Please help me. And God would be faithful and he would deliver them. And then they'd be good for a few years. Guess what would happen? They would start disobeying. And disaster would happen. And God would deliver them. And this went over and over and over again. God's faithful. The people are unfaithful. The people are unfaithful. God is faithful. It's this cycle. Now, (laughs) I'm guessing you can relate. Any of you ever been a kid? Yeah, like all of us, right? At our house... Um, One of the things that the kids are supposed to do, and parents too, and we don't always do it either, is make your bed before you come up for breakfast. It doesn't always happen. And they know that they're supposed to, but it doesn't always happen. And hey, I was a kid once too, and I didn't always listen um, either, or do what I was supposed to do. Um, But then at a time, and one of the reasons it doesn't happen is because dad's not checking. Then dad checks. And then disaster happens. (laughs) Not really disaster. But there's trouble. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. And then we talk about it. I forgive them. They make promises. And I don't look over their shoulders. And then I come down or up to check the room after about two weeks. And disobedience might have happened again. And even if that's, it's probably more true in my childhood than even theirs that I did this. But you can relate, can't you? You've done this before. If someone's not directly over your shoulder, you know what you're supposed to do, but we don't do it because the consequences aren't immediate. But then something happens, and sometimes it can be linked back to our direct disobedience of our parents. And let's link that to even God. Some of you are brand new to church, to the Bible, and you're just learning what God's plan is for your life. But for most of us, we know in most of the areas of our life where God, what God wants, and yet, because disaster isn't immediate when we don't listen, we can easily disobey. Even if it's just an attitude or an action or whatever it is, and we just kind of let that linger a little bit, and isn't it ironic That when things are going good, we forget about God and we disobey. And then when things are bad, it's like, who's the first person we ask to help when no one else can? God, please help me. It's ironic. What if we just stuck in that close relationship all the time? I think that'd be a good thing, right? And then God oftentimes has delivered us from that thing or whatever it was. And we get into this cycle, too. That's our second fill-in-the-blank. Um, we can really find a lot of similarities between us and the Israelites because we, too, fall into that same cycle of disobedience. Disobedience, disaster, deliverance. Now, let me say this. Disobedience of God's law is always going to happen We're never going to be able to obey perfectly. And that's in part because we have a sinful nature. This side of heaven will always have sin. And so even the Israelites, this cycle definitely shouldn't be totally surprising. But there was something that happened at the very beginning of Joshua's reign or rule, his, his leadership, and at the very beginning of the time of Judges, that contributed to this cycle happening more. And I want to share today what that thing was so that you and I can avoid that thing in our own lives, okay? So as Joshua was leading the people in the promised land, this was not going to be totally an easy thing because the land was inhabited. People lived there and they didn't want to leave. People like Canaanites and Hittites and Jebusites and Amorites, okay? A lot of ites going on in Israel. And so some of you maybe have read through the Old Testament that have been somewhat discouraged or confused or surprised by all of the the war and the bloodshed and maybe even a proper word would be slaughter of people. And I want to say that I've wrestled with those things too. And I know that, um, first off, I can't answer all of your questions because I don't know the mind of the Lord. But at the very, I I can tell you the big reason why that was, because God tells us, why God was so passionate about driving people out of the land, even at times if that meant murder and killing of people, was because he was preserving a remnant of the Jewish nation because from the Israelites, God had promised a savior was to come. And so as they were inhabiting this land, their job was to get rid of the people who lived there because they had no time for the true God and worshiped tons and tons of false gods. And God did not want them to intermarry and to mingle Together. So, one of the commands that God gave we can find in Joshua chapter 23. So, Joshua, this is before Judges begins, obviously, says, uh, Don't associate with the nations that will remain among you. So, there would be some war that happens and killing and there also would be a few that remained but you should not associate with them. Most of them would be driven out. Uh, And then verse 12 of that same chapter, if you turn away from God and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations, whether they're in the uh, borders or most of them outside the borders of Canaan, then if you do that, they're going to become snares and traps for you. So this was their direction. Get rid of of the false idols and the people who believed and worshipped false gods. And guess, guess what Israel did? At the beginning they listened. And one of the states, one of the tribes named Judah, did exactly what God commanded at the beginning of Judges chapter 1. At the beginning of Judges chapter 1. And then we run into this verse, in verse 19 of Judges 1. And so the Lord was with the men of Judah. Why? Because God asked them to get rid of the people in Canaan, had promised to give them victory, and they had listened. And they took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because the people had iron chariots. Now, if you were to just read that verse in isolation, it, might, it really sounds like that The people tried, that is, the Judahites, and they just couldn't drive the people out of there because of their awesome weaponry. They had iron chariots. It does sound that way from just this verse pulled out of context, which if you read the whole context and if you read the Lord's chastisement of Israel, you would find that this wasn't the case, that they tried and couldn't. You know why they were unable to drive them from the plains? Because they saw their iron chariots and they feared. They saw the iron chariots and they thought to themselves, I don't think we can do this. This is too hard. And besides, we've got enough land already to live on. And instead of trusting God's promises, that is, I'm going to give you the victory. And yes, some might die in battle, but I am going to give you the victory and this land. You just need to follow me. They feared because it was too much work, it was too hard, and they allowed this, these nations, at least on the plains there, to remain. Now this is the first example of then what's going to be the rest of Judges chapter 1 of how the Israelites did the same thing as they were inhabiting Canaan. Um, Verse 27 and following. In fact, I only picked seven verses. There's more. And um, I just want to let you know that I had to practice a lot of these words, and I might get them wrong. But the thing I thought about is you won't know that I got it wrong. So I'm just going to say it confidently, and then, you know, we'll all think that I knew all the Hebrew words and names. So, um, but Manasseh, that's one of the states, one of the tribes, the people of Manasseh did not drive out the people of Beth-shan or Tanakh or Dor or Iblium or Megiddo. I told you I practiced. And their surrounding settlements for the Canaanites were determined to live in that land. So they come to these cities and they're like, okay, you should leave now. And the Canaanites are like, no, this is my home. And the, the Israelites are like, okay. I guess we've got a place to live already. And it was probably not that uh, lack of fierceness. I'm probably not giving them enough credit. But the long story short is that these people did not wave the white flag and so the Canaanites did not trust God's promise. And they let them stay. When Israel became strong, that is then the, the... the people of of, uh, Israel, the Jews, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but they didn't drive them out as God had commanded, verse 29. Nor did Ephraim, another state, drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. They let them stay. Neither did Zebulun, another state or tribe, drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron or Nahalol, I practiced more on that one, who remained among them, but they did not sub but they did subject them to forced labor. Here's here's another reason they didn't do it. It's like, so we're living here. I'd like to have some fun. I don't really want to work. We've got these people that we've just conquered. We can do whatever we want with them. Instead of to drive them out, let's just keep them here and they can be our slaves. (laughs) And so life will be easier. (laughs) Short term. Life will be easier if we just disobey God and let these false idols and their people remain. And they did. Nor did Asher drive out those living in Acho or Sidon or Ahelab or Akzib or Helba or Aphek or Rehob. 32. And because of this, the people of Asher lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. They intermingled, intermarried. Neither did Naphtali, another state, drive out those living in Beth Shemeth or Beth Anath, but the Naphtalites too lived among the Canaanites. They led them there, inhabitants of the land. And those living in Beth Shemeth and Beth Anath became forced laborers for them. You're probably lost by now. But do not lose the main point. These verses illustrate how time after time after time in that conquering of Canaan, the people could have had victory. God had promised them victory. But it was easier to leave the bad company in the nation. It was easier. In fact, in some ways, it was more fun, free slaves, (laughs) to disobey God and to leave these false idols and their people in the country. And it probably was more fun for a time. But then it was horrible. Because they did not smoke out these idol worshipers. It became harder and harder and harder for them to stay true to the true God, to listen to the laws. And the cycle of disobedience, disaster, and deliverance came more and more because they did not listen at the beginning. What's, what's the direction in here for all of us? I mean, we, we don't have Hittites and Canaanites and Jebusites and Amorites to drive out of the land. It's not about conquering a nation. This was a very special time in world history that God, to preserve his people, had a very special direction for his people. But I, I would venture to say That you have ites that you've allowed to dwell at times. Not necessarily in your land, but in your heart. That sometimes it's easier to just allow the ites of sin, the bad company of sin, to just linger in our hearts. Um, Like what? Maybe not Amorites, but have you ever battled those Good old greedites. You know, we often make excuses for the greedites. We say, no, I just like nice things. We all like nice things. But it's the greedites that are talking. <laughs> How about the lustites? Let the lustites in your heart very long, and there's going to be a lot of other problems that come about. Ever run into the worryites? Oftentimes we say, you know, I'm just a worrier. Don't say that. You're a redeemed child of Christ, and you worry. It's not, and it happens, but that's not your identity. Don't ever allow it to be. The discontentmentites. the, uh, I'm not going to forgive that person instead, but instead hold a grudge for ever and ever I mean, those are really bitter people. You let those guys in your heart. Or maybe it's addiction. And uh, sometimes it's substances or alcohol or... Overeating or undereating or whatever, but addiction shows itself in a lot of different ways. One of the addictions that I see the most here, and honestly, I deal with this myself, is the addiction to career and success over almost anything else. A lot of people in this area, maybe in this room, are addicted to that. And without balance, it's sin. And you let it uh, stay and you let it stay and the years go by and you missed out on your kids' childhood and you miss out on this and that or whatever it is, life, God. <laughs> it caused problems, those ites. So what do we do? Well, here's what I do know, our fill-in number three. Letting them remain in the land of your heart It's not good. If you know in your mind and your heart, and you maybe have not even confessed it, but you know that something, an attitude, an action, an activity is wrong and not good, it probably is. Listen to your conscience. If your conscience is telling you that your priorities are out of whack, they probably are. Get rid of the yites, because letting sin remain is never good. Now, let me, let me explain that just a little bit more. So, the greatest comfort and joy of being a Christian is that God, eternally speaking, gets rid of the ites for us. He's won the victory over your sin, He's won forgiveness over all the ites that plague us, and that some of them we can't get rid of as much as we try. That's your greatest joy. That's salvation by grace. That's a faithful God delivering you and me, the unfaithful people, through the blood and death and resurrection of his son. But here's why I know that this is a big deal letting sin remain. Here's why. Here's one reason. Because it was a big deal to his God's son. If we ever excuse away sin, I'm sorry, That's a sin that Jesus suffered tremendously for. We cannot make excuses for sin because it cost God's son hell. That's why I know it's a big deal, sin. Here's another reason, and this is probably a little more immediate, okay? Letting sin remain is never good because it damages your relationship with your Heavenly Father. Letting sin linger, sometimes you might call this living in a sin. I think sometimes people get the mistaken notion that uh, living in a sin is just when two people live together before marriage. That would be one example. But any attitude, activity, action that we are content to just dwell in the homeland of our hearts And not do anything about, not repent of, not try to change with God's help is living in a sin. And and this damages our relationship with God. It makes it not as good as it could be. Now sometimes people have asked me this question. If you're living in a sin, whatever the sin might be, does that mean that you're out of faith? Does that mean that you no longer um, have God's forgiveness because you've rejected God? And my answer to that is, I don't know. Here's why. Because it depends on the situation and it depends on the circumstance. I would say, most of the time, probably not. Although it still damages your relationship 100% of the time. But sometimes it does put a person, because they've read out of faith, because it, they've rejected God for so long and so willfully that the love, the trust in God has been, been gone altogether. But here's my ultimate answer to them. Because sometimes I think the question comes up because we're wondering, can we just let it remain? Here's what I say. It doesn't matter whether it puts you out of faith or not. Because either way, it's dangerous. Letting sin remain. You know, this type of thinking and logic is kind of like, you know, let me give some examples of it that you would never do. Like, uh, would, you, would you let your two-year-old play with matches because uh, he might not burn the house down? Would you let your uh, eight-year-old cut the Thanksgiving turkey with that knife thing that goes like this that even a, a 30-something uh, should not use because I'll cut my finger off, I'm sure. Um, would you let your eight-year-old cut the Thanksgiving turkey, because he might not cut his finger off. Would you go on a family bike ride along the scenic I-35 route? (laughs) Because, heck, we may not get hit by a car. You don't ask those questions. You just stay away. That's what God's called you to do with sin. Might living in a sin put you out of the graces of God and faith? It could. It may not, but either way, stay off 35. Get the knife out of your hand. Our next uh, fill in the blank. God is faithful with forgiveness because of Jesus. Um, In wrap up here, (laughs) what are we to do? Well, Let's make a commitment to not make excuses for the sin that's in my heart, for the attitude we know that needs to be changed. Let's not suffer from an extended case of the yeah buts. You know, like a yeah but if you knew my situation, yeah but if this happened to you, you would feel the same way. Uh, Christians don't have yeah buts. We don't make excuses like the Israelites did. Well, it's free slave labor. God will understand. No, he won't, and it's going to be bad for you. (laughs) Let's make a commitment to get the enemies, the ites, out of our hearts daily by repentance. And then when you fail, when I fail, like I do, like you will do, God is faithful. to an unfaithful career addict like me. God is faithful to unfaithful people that fill this room and fill this world. And so the truth is this, that we should never give in to sin. And we don't ever need to be crushed by it. See, over the next few weeks, we're going to hear some names like Gideon, Samson, Deborah. Next week, the very well known Ehud. No. <laughs> That's who we're going to be talking about. These are all deliverers. But they're not the heroes of judges, God is god and his patience and his faithfulness to them to us let's pray